You're listening to the On the NBA Beat podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. And now, your hosts, Lauren Lee Chen and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Hey listeners, it's Aaron Fishman, back with the usual crew, and Dan Feldman to ring in the new year with a Detroit Pistons discussion. Feldman, a writer for NBC's Pro Basketball Talk, makes his second appearance on the podcast to shed light on the Pistons' strengths, the reason for their recent struggles, and a whole lot more on Andre Drummond, Reggie Jackson, and Stan Van Gundy, among others. Here we go. Hey, Dan, we really appreciate you coming on again. How is 2017 treating you so far? Well, besides the food poisoning, it's been fantastic, but we're, we're looking forward to the rest of the year. Yeah, I don't like to hear that, but there's a lot of year left, and it definitely could be a promising one for you and the Detroit Pistons. They had a recent 3-9 and nine skid that really looks bad from a wins and losses standpoint. They've won two in a row, really close games. They barely hung on against a furious Charlotte Hornets comeback and then beat the Blazers in double overtime. For you, what are the main takeaways from that skid where they just really weren't doing very well? Well, the entire difference almost was defensively. They went from defending like, give or take the best team in the league, to defending like the worst team in the league. Their offense got a little worse, uh, but not much. And that's in part because their offense was already a little down. Their offense wasn't special when they were doing well earlier in the season. Uh, But that defensive decline, I'm not sure there was necessarily a rhyme or reason to it other than they were getting frustrated with how the offense was going. Regardless of what the result, they were just a little unhappy with how the ball movement was. And, you know, sometimes when guys weren't getting shots, they'd admit, they were taking themselves out of the game defensively, not putting out full effort. It impacted, you know, both ends. And then all of a sudden everything just starts to snowball and you lose. So now you're not happy with your role. You're not happy with how the ball is moving and you're losing. So you're getting even more frustrated and it snowballs even more. And it just kept going in that direction until they got too deep in the spunk. And thankfully now for them, they've, they've started to snap out a little bit out of it a little bit, even though they're not necessarily playing a lot better in these last couple wins, but at least they're getting wins and feeling better. No, that's definitely a good point. It's really valuable to win those games that go down to the wire. I mentioned those two nail biters where they came out victorious. You mentioned also the defense to just cite a stat really quickly since December 11th, that's over the last 14 games for them. Detroit's defensive rating is 111.2, and that ranks 28th in the league. Only the Nuggets and the Kings are worse. We're going to talk a little bit about the defense later, but Reggie Jackson, it seems like, is rounding into form, which is really good news for the Pistons. It seems to me like he struggled when he first came back, and that also coincided with the team's struggles. What do you see from his game at this point? Yeah, I I think you were right that it coincided. And whether it was the cause of it directly, that's where I'm not really sure. And how much of it was, well, he's struggling a little bit. He's still trying to play his game. And that's frustrating other players more than it should have. I think his teammates probably didn't do a good enough job of 
supported him and saying, look, he's coming back. He's been out a long time from injury. He's not fully healthy. We need to step up and make it easier for them. Where instead, I think the mindset was more, hey, Reggie Jackson's back. We're struggling all of a sudden. He's not doing the right things. Like, let's just be unhappy with him. And so I, I think they need to get out of that a little bit or have it correct by Jackson playing better. Maybe it's some of both, but he's definitely playing better now. Big thing was he wasn't able really to get into the paint, get into the rim when he first got back. Now he's doing that a little better. Uh, the next step is starting to show somewhat is when he gets into the paint, elevating a little better, you know, getting up a little higher. And right now he's scoring inside with some crafty stuff, stuff that's working for him and hopefully will still be part of his repertoire as he fully gets healthy. But to really get it to that next level, he's going to have to start elevating a little better. But he's on the right track. It's been slower than I'm sure he hoped than the Pistons hoped, but it is on the right track. With a knee injury like that, I know athleticism can be an issue. So it's just a process, you think, but he's looking better physically at least? I think so. I mean, the signs are there of of progress in each step. I don't think there's going to be something that weighs on him, you know, beyond this season. I don't know exactly how long it's going to take. I'm sure it'll be up and down a little bit. These things never go in straight lines. Uh, But I do think it's just a process that has to play out, and they have to play through it, which is frustrating because they're trying to win games right now. You don't want to be playing through these things. I just don't think there's an alternative. Since Reggie Jackson returned, Ish Smith has gone back to the bench. When he was starting, he was shooting well, too. But since his return to the bench, his shooting numbers have just plummeted. What do you think the prospects are of getting Ish comfortable again with his shot? Yeah, that's an interesting thing. I'm not sure his shot has really changed as a result of going to the bench. I can't rule that out. Uh, But I think that's just something in sports analysis that we all get stuck on a little too much is this thing happened, then this thing happened. Therefore, the second thing happened because of the first thing. Ish Smith, he's been a streaky shooter his entire career. I just think that he was just bound to come down a little bit. He's looking more like he is. And the good thing for him, though, is he's learning how to score, how to be a part of his team. His teammates are learning how to play with him uh, without relying on his shot. He shouldn't be looking for his shot. And he, for the most part, hasn't after the first couple weeks of the season. It's more about, hey, he's going to use his speed to get up the court in a hurry, to penetrate, to attack, to get inside, and see what's there. Most of the time for him, it's going to be a, a kick-out pass or something like that. Sometimes the shot's going to be there, and if the shot finds him, great. Uh, when he's hunting his shot, that's when he runs into problems. And he's still been passing well, so that's promising to see. Yeah, and that's definitely a, a credit to his teammates learning how to play with him, that he wants to run, and you've got to run with him. When, when they were trying to play slow, play a Reggie Jackson type of pace, it wasn't good for his Smith passing. But now his teammates are learning how to play with him. Yeah, another player who's back to the bench, Tobias Harris, or who's on the bench, in eight games off the bench, his stats are even better than they were when he was starting. He's scoring over 20 per game and shooting 52.5%. What do you think the change has been with Harris going to the bench? I think there's something to this, but the same caution I gave before where one thing happened, then another. It's not necessarily because of the first thing. Because Tobias Harris was playing pretty well as a starter, too. But I think one thing that is helping him is when you start the game, uh, the Pistons want to get touches for Reggie Jackson. They want to get 
Marcus Morris involved. They're running more plays for KCP. They're running more plays for Andre Drummond. Like they've got to get all these guys involved. Now he can come in, Tobias Harris, that is. When he comes off the bench, it's his turn to get involved. There's no, there's no ambiguity of, hey, is it my turn? Is it somebody else's turn? When he comes in, it's his turn. He can get going. He can get into a rhythm. And he's a talented player. He's a good scorer. And when he's that focal point, that's something that works for him. And, and it's also because he, he's a professional. He accepted this. He realized that it was best for the team. He didn't complain publicly about it or anything like that. He was just trying to make the best of it, and he's good enough to make a, a very good deal out of it. Do you think that Harris should be starting, or do you like his instant offense off the bench? It's a really weird thing uh, because that starting lineup that the Pistons ended last season with and planned to use this year, which is Reggie Jackson, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Marcus Morris, Tobias Harris, Andre Drummond, it was very good last year, pretty awful this year. And there seems to be some type of different dynamic, different chemistry. The players talk about, you know, this, this year is not last year. It's not going to be the same. And so maybe, you know, I just feel like something in that dynamic was broken. And I don't know how you get it back. So I, I think it makes some sense to break it up a little bit. And if you're going to break it up a little bit, yeah, the change that makes the most sense is probably putting Harris on the bench and moving John Lord to the starting lineup. Returning to talking about Detroit's defense over the course of the season, as you said, you can sort of split up the season into when the Pistons look like one of the best defensive teams in the league and then when they look like one of the worst. But there's still a lot of things that they've been doing well on defense, specifically, I think, limiting the opponent's easy baskets. They still lead the league in allowing the fewest fast break points and the fewest points off turnovers and the fewest second chance points. Do you think that's sort of the mentality, their defensive mentality right now with Stan Van Gundy? Yeah, the Pistons under Van Gundy have played a very conservative defense. They'll let teams beat them from the mid-range and uh, sometimes from beyond the arc. And a key difference during the stretch when they've gotten bad is teams have beaten them. And part of that is the Pistons have just been too soft. They've made it too easy. Uh, really, if, so we, as we broke it down before, the, the downturn really came just because of defense. And it, became, it came for a specific element of defense, which was opponent shooting. It's not that the Pistons were, were rebounding worse or fouling more or not forcing as many turnovers. It's they just let opponents shoot very well from all over the court. Every single area of the court, opponents shot better. There just wasn't enough hustle, enough, enough communication, understanding to make those defensive rotations, to contest those shots a little bit. Uh, but the core of the defense, the idea is to be somewhat conservative, to eliminate those fast break points, to clean up the defensive glass, to, to do those things. And, yeah, sometimes teams are going to hit shots, but leave them only okay shots and nothing else. Yeah, and this is year three of Stan Van Gundy's reign in Detroit as the sort of head coach executive combination that he's been. Do you think there's pressure on him to continually show progress year to year? And in this crowded Eastern Conference where there's really not that much separation, it seems, from seed four to 12, is it important this year to secure a playoff berth for public perception for the Detroit Pistons, or is just showing personnel promise all that's needed right now? Well, as far as Van Gundy's job security, I believe a lot of times when when guys who are coaches, who are career coaches like Van Gundy, seek front office control, it's not so much that they want to build the team themselves and do all that work. 
Although that's some of it. I think the bigger issue is they want to insulate themselves. They don't want yet another boss who can fire them. And so that's why I think Van Gundy's pretty safe. You know, because he's team president, he's obviously not going to fire himself. And so, yes, the owner could always fire him. That's really the only person in the organization who could fire him. The owner just hired him, brought him in. He's his guy. I think there was definitely a vision. We'll see how it plays out. But a vision that, you know, Van Gundy will really have a chance to put his stamp on this franchise. I guess if you want to be optimistic and look big, something like what Pat Riley did with the Heat or what Greg Popovich is doing with the Spurs, you know, it takes a long time to get there. But I think that was the goal, the, the desire, the, the light at the end of the tunnel. So you don't overreact to a downturn in year three. It might not always be steady progress. Do the Pistons need to make the playoffs for perception? Probably depends on whose perception. I'm sure it'll be mixed a little bit. There'll be a lot of casual fans who'll say, oh, they made the playoffs last year, missed it this year, what's wrong? Uh, but if there's progress on the roster, that'll tease plenty of fans too. Uh, like you said, the East is so tight, there's not necessarily a huge difference between having home court advantage in the first round and missing the playoffs. Yeah, that really stinks for the teams that miss it. But it just might be a little bit luck of the draw which side you fall on when it's such a tight margin. I think something that was interesting about when you look back at Stan Van Gundy's tenure so far with the Pistons is for the first two years, a lot of the roster moves that he made were judged under the perception that he's going to be trying to emulate his 2009 Magic team with Andre Drummond playing the role of Dwight Howard and then surrounding him with four shooters. But Looking at it this season, the Pistons are now close to the bottom of the league in terms of both three-point rate and three-point percentage. So do you think there has been a little bit of a shift in that sense, or how would you assess their personnel there? Because also, Contavious Caldwell-Pope this season is shooting a career high from three, but it seems like the other people around him are not there this season. I'm curious how that's going to play out. Uh, because one of the key differences is at this point in the season, the Pistons have had to rely on if Smith is the starting point guard. Well, he's not a three-point shooter. Reggie Jackson is. So with Reggie Jackson back, I think it could get back up around where it was last year and get back on that track. But we'll have to see. The forwards have been a little disappointing as three-point shooters overall, including John Luer, who's played well overall and used his three-point shooting ability to leverage very good two-point shots, uh, but it hasn't quite been there. You're right. I don't know if that's a change in philosophy. I, I sort of don't think it is. I think it's more just disappointing output uh, from the team's three-point shooting, especially the forwards. But I think also that Reggie Jackson coming back could get that back on track. And then Drummond as the centerpiece of this franchise, he's still so young at 23 he sometimes shows really amazing defensive feats, especially, but still, at least anecdotally, he looks a little bit inconsistent, getting lost on that end at times. For something that's supposed to be his calling card, the defense, do you think that might be an issue of effort on every single play, or do you think that's just natural for a young player his age to have those lapses? Oh, it's some of both. Some of it's just getting lost, still being young, still learning his way. Uh, but some of his aggressiveness, so like you look at his shot-blocking numbers, those should be higher. He's just not always competing on that, and he's not always competing offensively. Like That's one of the drawbacks with him. And, you know, 
there are worse drawbacks. Like, if you have Andre Drummond, you take the good and bad. He's the best player the Pistons have had in a long time, uh, probably since Chauncey Billups. So you, you're happy to have him, but you have to work through these, these effort things, get him to compete more, get him, especially on the defensive end, more consistently, uh, to be smarter on that end. It's a work in progress. Uh, it's a difference between the Pistons being better than they are. It's a clear place they should be targeting for improvement, that they need improvement long-term. It's not the end of the world, but it is something to build on. I think I know the answer to this one, but in your mind, are the Pistons better when Drummond is getting more shots? He's been, at least this calendar year, they've been able to get him the ball around the rim a lot more, it seems like. It depends on what kind of shot, because he's still learning his way as a scorer. The shots you want him to take all the time are when he's crashing the offensive glass and getting put back. Like, that's excellent for your offense. It's, it's excellent for him. It's a high percentage shot. It, it means you're converting a miss, putting that back. Uh, you want him in the pick and roll, finishing lobs. You want to get him as many of those high percentage shots as you can, and the Pistons pretty much do. Any team with a player like that gets that player as many of those shots as you can. The problem is, again, especially against good defenses, there just aren't that many of those shots to be had. So then what? Do you give the ball to somebody else? Do you let him post up? Uh, do you let him face up? His post up, his back-to-basket stuff can be a little rough. He's developing some nice skills off the dribble. Uh, when he catches in the pick and roll, needs an extra dribble to get closer to the basket. Uh, when he just faces up, like he's, he's putting that together a little bit. But he's still finding his way of what's a good shot, what's a bad shot, what's forcing it. He's still learning his own skill set. But something that will come in time, it uh, wouldn't be the worst thing in the short term to rein him in a little bit, but for the long term, there are definitely pluses to letting him feel this out because this is how you get the most productive Drummond a year or two from now. Basically, because his offensive game is still pretty limited, was that the main issue? Just that his teammates, well, Reggie Jackson obviously was out and then he was struggling a little bit, but were they just his teammates not able to get him the ball in a position for him to succeed. And also maybe he wasn't getting as many offensive rebounds and putbacks. Maybe that. Yeah. It's not so much his teammates, not getting him the ball in good positions, he himself, not getting in good position and knowing what that is. A lot of times with Drummond, it's okay. This is going to be a possession where Andre Drummond shoots and that's in his mind. That's in the team's mind. And it doesn't really matter whether he's, he's in a good spot or not. Like, so you just sort of cherry pick, this will be a drum in possession. And so if he's not in good position, he's going to force up the shot. He's not that good of a, of a passer, something he needs to work on. And, and just make it more of a part of the offensive flow rather than, okay, sometimes we're going to run our offense. Sometimes we're going to force feed Drummond. Like, those things need to find a balance and work better together. It's a work in progress. We know how strong of a rebounding team these Pistons are. It obviously helps when you have a guy like Andre Drummond. This season, though, they're in the middle of the pack in offensive rebound percentage at around 22.5, whereas last year they ranked second in the league at 27%. Is there a change in philosophy possibly to crash the boards less and get back more on defense? Or is that just a, a statistical quirk that you think we're seeing now? I think it's something that's driving Stan Van Gundy nuts. 
how they haven't crashed the glass as hard as he wants them to, especially those non-Drummond players. It's sort of, I don't know if it's weird because it makes sense. They all rebound better when Drummond's out of the game. When Drummond's in, they're often waiting for Drummond to get the rebound, every rebound. He obviously can't get them all. Uh, that said, at least the Pistons are doing something productive out of their, their offensive rebounding dip. Uh, as you pointed out, they've been very good in fast-break defense, not allowing fast-break points. So, no, they might not always be getting in good offensive rebound position as much as the Pistons want them to, but at least they're going somewhere and getting back on defense and not letting the team run out on them. John Lure, can you just help us evaluate the contributions he's made and his improvement? It, it seems like right at the perfect time, 27 years old, he's made a big improvement at this stage of his career. So the Pistons got him to replace Anthony Tolliver, who played very hard for Detroit, was often uh, the stretch four. And this is the difference between John Lure and Anthony Tolliver. John Lure is a couple inches taller. And I don't want to say that's it. But that's so much of it. It makes life so much easier for John Lure being two inches taller. He defends much better. He's able to contest shots. The Pistons have been better defensively when he's on the court. That's really what got him into the starting lineup with his defense. Uh, he's an all right three-point shooter for a stretch four, below league average, but still putting up a healthy number of, of outside shots, making them in the 30%-ish, in the low 30s. Uh, but he's using that threat to attack the basket. He's good at when somebody runs him off the line, he can attack off the dribble, shooting a very high percentage inside the arc. So it's a nice understanding of his game. I would hope that his outside shots start falling a little more. That should bring everything together. Uh, but he's doing enough right now. We hope he's okay, too. It, it appears from what we've read, like nothing serious happened with the knee. Is that the sense that you're getting? Uh, nothing so serious that it was glaringly obvious, but I think uh, the Pistons are still trying to figure that one out. Right now, you like him as a starter. I mean, kind of like what we were saying before, that it seems to be working out with Tobias Harris still doing really well off the bench and Lure continuing in a kind of similar role, even though now he's starting. Yeah, it's going to be tough whoever the starter is. Uh, whichever of those three forwards, and you can use, and with Marcus Morris, I mean, you can use two of those three on the court together in any combination. Uh, whoever is coming off the bench is going to have an easier time playing Morgan's backups, coming in and knowing where they're going to stand, not be competing with other starters for touches. It's going to be easier for that guy. But right now, yeah, I think the best mix right now is with Lure starting and Harris coming off the bench. On Stanley Johnson, what do you think about his diminishing role? Do you think this is how it has to be, given the way he's played? He's playing a lot fewer minutes than last season and shooting about four and a half field goal attempts less per game. Yeah, there's really no alternative. The Pistons want to develop him. They want to get him minutes. They want him to be part of the rotation. But he's got to earn it at least a little bit. And for so much of the season, he wasn't offensively, he would go through two different phases. He'd either force it and miss a lot of shots and turn the ball over, or he'd be way too passive and completely disappear. He never found the middle ground, didn't find much coming naturally to him. Defensively, for the most part, the effort was good, but it was just really reckless, didn't really know where he was going, was running around a lot ineffectively, 
not the progress you want to see from last year. He wasn't that good last season. He was okay for a teenage rookie, but teenage rookies generally aren't very good. You hope to see progress into year two that wasn't really there. So it's disappointing. That's why he's been in and out of the rotation. He's playing a little better lately, finding himself a little bit. Uh, but part of that is because he, he set the bar so low for himself, there really was nowhere to go but up. But he is on the right track lately a little bit, the best we can tell. But that's, that's such a small sample. Uh, the larger sample over the whole of the season, not very good. And as you said, Dan, he's still just 20 years of age, so there's a lot of progress that he could make. He is by no means a bust yet. Definitely not a bust. I mean, he's young. There's plenty of time to get it together. Yeah. On minutes allocation in terms of backup center, where do you stand on Boban and Aaron Baines? Do you expect Stan Van Gundy to allocate sufficient time for each player now that both are available? Stan Van Gundy really likes Aaron Baines. It's going to be hard to get Aaron Baines out of the rotation. The Pistons signed Boban, and we're very transparent about this, that they think Aaron Baines is going to opt out next summer, get a contract far richer than the Pistons can afford, and then they figured, well, we have money now. Let's get Boban now, and we can slide, slide him in next year. They really look at Boban as their backup center in waiting. He occasionally has some great games, some moments. It's useful to have him around. Uh, in this last game against the Trailblazers, he came in cold off the bench for Portland's final possession to guard the inbound. Helps him your seven foot three. Uh, he had a great game against the Hornets where Baines was hurt. I mean, just a, a monster game for Boban. Didn't get him into the rotation, though. I, I really think Stan Van Gundy is going to keep favoring Aaron Baines. But if Boban plays well in his limited minutes, maybe that can change things. I just don't think Boban's getting enough minutes anytime soon to work his way in to get enough of a comfort level to make an impression. And those guys are pretty different, too. So I, th- I think it helps to have their differing skill sets to utilize whenever it's called for. Uh, somewhat. I mean, they're both, they both go about it some different ways, but I don't know how often it is where you need one or the other because they're not centers with range. They're both guys who are going to be more physical guys inside. Boban obviously has nicer touch. Aaron Baines is uh, going to be more physical below the rim. Uh, so, yeah, they are somewhat different. I'm not sure they're different enough where you're going to play to one or the other based on the matchup, except for if it gets to the point you decide Boban is your preference. Like, if you can play him, that's what you want to do. Uh, there are some matchups Boban can't handle. He can, just can't handle quicker, stretchier bigs where Aaron Baines can. That's not Aaron Baines' game, but he can handle it. He's not so one-dimensional. So you could get to that point where Boban is getting all the minutes he can get and Aaron Baines is getting the rest. As for Stan Van Gundy's outspokenness and blunt honesty on various issues, sociopolitical recently and basketball topics like um, officiating in the playoffs when he called out refs for officiating LeBron unfairly. Do you think that his outspokenness has any kind of effect on the team, maybe bringing them closer together, for example, or do you think any kind of effect there is overstated and not significant? Well, I think it's the form his blunt honesty takes because when he talks to the media about any of these things, including about his own players, he's clearly telling the players the same message. He's not somebody who goes and says something to the media 
to like a Phil Jackson does. Nothing that's wrong, but like Phil Jackson will go to the media to try and motivate a player and do it through the media. Van Gundy will tell the player what he thinks. He'll tell the media the same thing. Uh, he might not always share what he tells the player, but you can trust that if he's telling the media something, he's already told it to his team. He's also bluntly honest about himself, about mistakes he makes, uh, that where he does things wrong, where he needs to do things better. So I think players can trust. Look at when he's criticizing them, it's because he really thinks it's their fault. It's not because he can't find fault or is just trying to shift blame. Because when he thinks it's his own fault, he'll blame himself. I just think it's, um, it sets a tone of accountability, uh, a culture where, you know, everybody's got to be at their best, including him, and where you can trust what he's saying. More specifically on some of the more controversial comments Stan Van Gundy has made, personally, I really like it. I like him telling it like it is. But I could see the other side of the argument that he's alienating uh not so insignificant segment of the population or of his fans. What's your take on it in this age of increasing player and coach activism? Yes, that's the other side of it, his political stuff. There definitely were some fans here uh, who weren't happy with what he said about the election. The Pistons were playing in Arizona uh, on the night of the election and Van Gundy, uh, you know, you guys all know what he said. And uh, I'm sure he thought he was sort of like, in a different place where, man, I got to go play in, in Arizona where all these people, they voted for Trump. I, you know, I don't know what this is going to be like. Well, hey, guess what? Michigan went to Trump. Like, you got to come home. This is, this is your fans. Like, this area voted for Trump. You've got to square that. And I think Van Gundy has come around a little bit. That, and this is, this is the same thing Hillary Clinton went through, too, when she criticized Trump voters where you have to refine it as and take a step back. And it's, you know, you're not mad at, at Trump voters. You're mad at Trump. You have to take a, a step back. And I think Van Gundy has done that and tried to watch it back a little because these are customers and you have to be reasonable to them and make them want to come to your games. And it's a tough give or take for him because he's outspoken in all these other things. A lot of times it's been very good for him. Not always. So he's always trying to find that balance. Yeah, for me personally, I don't mind the outspokenness. It's just when you're a public figure, you have to be really careful what you say. It's such a polarized world and country. But one thing at least the three of us hosts are not divided on is how great of a guest you are. So we really do appreciate it coming on. Well, I appreciate you guys having me. It's always a blast.